recording to you from Detroit, Michigan. You are listening to Blacks with Blues.
I am your host, Justin Jones, and you are listening to a special segment, Shades of Blue, featuring Tay, Alyssa, and Grover, sitting down together to speak about socioeconomic status and oppression, especially as it applies to us as black millennials in America. A lot of the time, we as young black people pair our self-worth back to our productivity, especially in a capitalistic society that tells us we are not real people unless we are working ourselves to death. So, today's episode is very much so rooted in that and depression. So, stay tuned right after this little jam. See, I'm in LA, and she from LA. I'm from the West, she was born round the bayou. Beautiful, too, y'all. She's such a knockout. You gotta hear her talk, sorta kinda cute. Quarter French, half black, quarter water cute. Ooh, the girl that make you wanna get a suit. Ooh. You know the type your mama might like, the kind you might write A couple of poems about under a nightlight But she in L.A., and that's a long way Away from Louisiana, Bama, living cameras Giving their chills of being poppin' Hoppin' on top of couch, cushion shopping, Buying whatever got you looking. look it, look it Rubbing elbows among the crooked One pill, two pill, took it Three pill, four pill, took it Now she lickin' on the BFF Because they lookin' more fuck it Long as they lookin', lookin' Tell me what I'm supposed to do I know that you notice and me notice I'm digging your style, your smile, you're a nine, you Got one nose, two ears, and upper lip, and piercings for each of uh, how she do it. When I heard the accent, I knew she was foreign. Bottle after bottle, the way it was born. Nigga after nigga, the shorty ignoring. Rocking back and forth while the DJ, DJ's acting like she know the words, got her hands up high. Like, fuck it, if we only live once, I'ma live until living passes me by. Every now and then she throwing looks in my direct Trying to gauge if I can tell she mooching off the next Dude with the right amount of gold around his neck Yeah, as long as she ain't naked, she gon' fake it till she make it So welcoming to Blacks of Blues, depression uh, How you doing? No, so we got Grover for the very first time Hi Grover We got Avante for the very third, fifth, seventh like that time And we got Alyssa for Forever Times and myself, Justin um, we're about to talk Woo. about depression. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty hard topic to just go right into. So, who got something to say about depression? What? I thought about it because I, I've been reflecting a lot on my life and reflecting a lot on like the last couple years of my life in particular. Um, and what I thought about was that um, I was working at a job that I really enjoyed. Uh, I was like helping kids, I was like doing all this stuff, and then I got fired. Um, And I thought about how when the economic recession happened in 2008, 
how all these white men started killing themselves and causing harm to others because they lost their jobs. And I thought about that because it made me realize how ingrained the idea of masculinity and providing and economic stability and like job security, how like how ingrained those are into people. And as someone who tries my hardest to like stray away from social norms and in that regard, it was still very much so ingrained. And I was just like walking around like sad because I lost my job. And then I realized oh, I can get another job, you know? And I've never really talked about it. And I think that's something we should talk about. I think it's just something that everybody should think about sometimes that, uh, you know, just because you're in one space doesn't mean that you have to be in that space forever. It doesn't mean that um, that's gonna be the end for you. It doesn't mean that wherever you go to next, you're gonna be in that space forever. Uh, and I just think we as people need to learn how to let go of things, people, situations, um, and all that stuff that's just holding us back because we're never going to be able to be prosperous if we're always holding on to the things of yesterday and yesteryear. Definitely. I feel like we talk about, like, you're talking about the, the like, masculinity aspect of it. I feel like having to, having to act as if you don't feel things, having to act as if yeah. you're holding it all together, uh, definitely, definitely, uh, definitely affects the way that we process emotions. I also wonder when we talk about how like the expectations we have of black women and how sometimes like women, black women's gender is almost erased mm -hmm. because uh, by their blackness mm -hmm. and how, uh, and we have a woman here so she can definitely speak to that more. <laughs> you know, I'm not here to be a voice for women. Uh, but but uh, how like this idea of just holding things together and taking care of everybody and feeling that need to because of what society puts on us yeah. and how like we're, we're told that we have to be hardened and that we have to be just work, work mules. We have yeah. to work, work, mm -hmm. work, work, provide, provide, provide as much as we can. And that if we don't, then we're somehow lacking and there's something wrong with us. And so when you get in these positions where we may be working a minimum wage job, or we may be out of a job, we may be getting evicted. All of a sudden, it feels like, wow, I'm just not a valuable person. Instead right, of just yeah. being, oh, I'm in this situation right. that came about, especially if you're black, that came about because of socioeconomic circumstances, and even if it came about by your own decisions. Because right, right. sometimes we make bad decisions. <laughs> but that's okay. We make different decisions. Yeah. And sometimes things turn out different ways than we planned, and we got to roll with it because... We gotta keep hope. Yeah, yeah. We gotta keep hope. Yeah. Without hope, we ain't got shit. So. Yeah. Um. I, I I would say like in that particular situation for me, um, what you said about not being a viable person, and working, working, working. I thought it was really interesting when I like talked to my father, who's nearly he was almost fifty. Um. He's a vet, and just a man's man. Whatever that means to you, <laughs> all right. Um, he he was like, you know what you gotta do? I was like, what, Dad? He said, you gotta go get a job at a plant. Now, keep in mind, I'm a full-time student. Um, I was working a part-time job, um, just trying to like have some money in my pocket so that I can like buy food 
when I needed food, you know, nothing. I wasn't about to buy a house. And he was just like, you know, you need to start working at a plant because they pay you like $20 an hour. Um, and that upset me. One, because not to say that working at a plant is a bad thing. If that's what you do, that's great. But one of the things that that job in particular that I was working taught me was that, um, was that there are levels to society. And one of the levels is, are you using your mind or your body for work? Which one's being exhausted? Mm. And the slave complex uses your body. They wear you out so that you can never use your mind. Um, and from my view, plants use a very similar method where they just work your body mm. until you can't use it anymore. You start working at a plant when you're 21 and you're lifting heavy things and you're working heavy machinery and then your back breaks, right? Um, and then you can't actually use your body anymore because your spinal cord, which is connected to your brain, isn't working properly. And now you're disabled for the rest of your life. And not to say that, that happens to everybody because that doesn't, but it's just to say that probably what happened to me because I'm 5'2 and 110 pounds. Um, and I just don't think that that's the world that we should live in where if you're not working, you if you, are, if you aren't working at a stable job or if you are unemployed, um, you then need to start working for a big white billion dollar corporation and feeding their supply when they're the reason why your city is in economic down spiral, right? And they're the reason why your grandfather, for me particularly, was depressed, honestly, and why he couldn't have a healthy life because he, he was one of those people who worked in a plant, hurt himself, and then couldn't provide. Mm. or who worked himself so hard that he couldn't actually enjoy life anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just kind of strange how a lot of people arrive back at the conclusion of working under the control of someone else to gain economic freedom when you're still enslaved mentally and physically. I feel like we're getting to a point now where we really need to see the system for what it is, at least like how capitalism uses people's bodies to like sustain like yeah. bigger structures that are really only benefiting people at the top. Yes. And honestly being a cause for depression like across the board, especially these days, people like in our age group also were like, there's just more separation mm -hmm. happening like with the kinds of work and how to achieve the kinds of work that are more, I guess, desirable, which still feed into the system. And just, I also, this also makes me think about like stuff Jay-Z and Diddy talk about with like, okay, well, black people need to do their own like system mm -hmm. and like, you know, be self-sufficient while still using capitalist ideals. And it's like, you're just gonna recreate the same thing at the end of the day, at least that's how I see it in a sense. So it's, I, I don't know, I just feel like this, society isn't honest enough about what we're doing these things for and what we're doing these things for and how like who's benefiting from the work that yeah. is like seen as often a moral thing because that's that's the one thing that's always bothered me about like just work culture is that working hard 
I mean, it's good to work hard, but the fact that, like, oh, you have to work the hardest, that just, like, somehow puts you on a moral high ground yeah. compared to mm-hmm. other people. The way I think of it is, like, there's a story that I saw a couple of years ago about, like, this man who had no car, and I think it was actually in Detroit, too, so, you know, he wasn't using the buses for whatever reason, and they were like, man, he just walks 10 miles to and from work every day. Isn't he such a great? And it's like, this shouldn't be okay. Like, why are we congratulating this? He's stopping this from happening. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, uh, I read about this guy, I believe his name was Dr. Amos Wilson. He was talking about the moral individual sensibility, which is definitely what you're talking about mm-hmm. there, how we're taught that, you know, if you work hard, if you're a good person, then you'll make all this money. Right. And what happens is, black people being black, being treated as black, when we work hard, and we're good people, and we don't make that money, we start <laughs> questioning, are we good people? Right. Am I working hard enough? I must not be working hard enough. Right. And then it gets to the point where we either work ourselves to death, mm-hmm. or... We say fuck it and we give up because we're like, oh well, I, I mean, I'm putting my best and I, it's not good enough, so I might as well just stop. And sometimes, sometimes you got people who will talk to other people and like basically teach them that same pessimism of, oh, you know, you might as well not even try. Right. You know, you're not you're not gonna get nowhere with that. Mm-hmm. Even school systems. I saw this mm-hmm. thing the other day where it was like there te- there's a teacher. I don't know if the teacher was white or black or whatever, but it was definitely a black teenager and. He, was, he told him, like, oh, you know, well, you just going to end up getting shot by the police at the end of the day. Or something, something really crazy like that. What? And it's like, I was... <laughs> I know, what? right? I would, too. I was like, are you serious right now? But that's an extreme case, of course. But right. what frustrates me about the, oh, work hard, you're a good person thing is that a lot... I don't want to put a percentage on it because I'm not going to do that. But so many rich people don't work for shit <laughs> and still, like, have all that money and status amassed. And that just, you know, I feel like people really aren't seeing that for whatever reason. It's like inheritance is a huge part of wealth. And then also not taking into account of, like, generational wealth that goes into it. Not just like, oh, we work to get this. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's just a lot wrapped up in it that needs to be, like, discussed more. Speaking of uh, generational wealth, so there is this philanthropic um, industrial complex. Uh, is anyone familiar with that idea or concept? Uh, the concept, definitely. Okay. I haven't heard it really be talked about, but I know what you're talking about, so you say that. So, so in philanthropy, so philanthropy being usually big organizations um, giving money to people that need it, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this job, getting back to the whole getting fired, depression, all that, um, at this job, what we did were, was that we served as a philanthropic intermediary. And what those people are, are people that take money from the big company and then give it to the smaller people. Um, these things don't really exist. We were one of the only ones in the country that actually existed. Um, but that's what that's what that piece of the puzzle does. They're supposed to act as an intermediary between these two entities, and those and so the lower entities for us in Detroit were neighborhood people, people in the neighborhood doing work. Um, what I realized in that place is that the people up top don't actually care where the money goes, which is why there needs to be an intermediary because no one really, no one at the top, the the Kreksky's, the um, the Tomins. Fords, the Tomins, those people don't actually care where the money goes, which is, it's just going somewhere because it's a tax write-off. 
And that's what happens in the uh, in the industrial complex of philanthropy is that it just becomes a tax write-off because they can give a million dollars away to someone and it just becomes a tax write-off. Um, I was reading something about an artist. I don't know the person's name. Look it up. <coughs> but it was an artist who built a museum and put all this money into the museum and then wrote it off as a tax write-off. But and said that you know it was going to to be a museum, so he got a tax write-off for it, but. The museum was his beach house. It was just his beach house, more or less. Like, it was just his art in a building next door to his house that no one else could go to. So, but he got his ex right off for Wait, it. Wait, no one else could go to the museum? No, because it's not a real museum. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, in philanthropy, the people up top don't care, yes, but also they're just white people that have generational wealth, like Alyssa said. Um, it's just white people who have gotten money from whatever they've done, probably from the, the industries that have benefited from cattle slavery. Um, they just collect that money and pass it on to their children, and then their children are like, we're gonna get some tax write-offs, so we're gonna give it to people who are less fortunate. And that could be inner city people, that could be nonprofits, that's that could be poor white people, that could be anybody who is less fortunate, or it could just be them building a fake museum. <laughs> um, you said that, Alyssa, and then I thought of yeah. that system. Um, yeah, so think about that the next time you give your money to someone. <laughs> yeah. Especially to a big organization. Just remember that it seems like these people care. And maybe the people that you see do, the people that are actually on the ground working do care because most people who work in these organizations get into the work for the care of people. But the people that they're working for, the people up top, mm -hmm. yeah. are the same like people who are running mm. the, the, the organizations that are disadvantaging the world at large. Yep. I mean, because BP has nonprofits, and BP caused that huge oil, oil, oil spill, and Yikes. you know all that stuff. So, <laughs> things to think about. Neoliberalism. Oh, that's a. Whole so at that note, yeah, at neoliberalism, because that's a whole another conversation. Um, what is neoliberalism? Well, we're gonna talk about that after we uh, take a music break. Yeah. Now everybody telling me a lie. Lord, they give me something for my soul. See, I don't wanna think of suicide So please don't take the lucky on my door See, I've been tired of fucking all these girls And I've been tired of spending all my dough And if I get my story to the world I wonder if they book me for a show See, you can't handle pressure on your own So why you carry border by yourself? The story, story, tell it, tell it wrong And glorify the horror in the wealth now mama come and tell me, come me home And I just need some guidance in my steps I know I'm not the only one alone I know I'm not the only one that felt Make it 25 Baby, call the doctor for my health 
You know it's kinda hard to say the drugs Cause I've been having problems with myself And I've been asking questions where the love And they don't give me answers just a check And they don't know my issues as a child Cause I was busy cutting on myself And hanging from the playground went wrong Until you got a rope on your neck And I've been losing more than just my mind Gathering was love for self-respect And that is why you coming, why you drunk And why you never let me when I need it And I don't wanna be like you no more And I've been trying to cope, I'm getting weak Smoke too much, the problems of a 20-something. 20-something. I drink too often, it's liquor pouring from the faucet. You would assume for following the tunes, then I'm doomed to die young. Addicted to dry plump, these bitches ain't shit. And pussy is my greatest vice. I love smoking weed, I hate advice. I know some niggas that talk good, the wise men from a long line of bitch made and bridesmen. You never had nothing but fucking dreams You just caught up in the hype The fashion is so it seems The limelight I know that I rhyme tight No need for your two cents And burning your blueprints These people think I really give a fuck about The shit they give a fuck about Just need a moment of silence Just close your fucking mouth Infatuated with violence Gun in my fucking mouth So you don't know that I'm serious Know what I'm talking about Like you got punchlines for days It's so generic You float You're too cold You age like, you got punchlines for days, it's so generic, you flow, you too cold, you ace. Yeah, and I'm so misrepresented by niggas that claim trill and they souls was never in it. Like, yeah, and I'm so misrepresented by niggas that claim trill, they souls was never in it. Like,
Yeah, let's get that. Let's go back there. <laughs> um, but yeah, back on depression. Uh, me and Justin were having this conversation the other day about like uh, Eckhart Tolle's idea about your mind being separate from your being, mm-hmm. and how it's like okay, you have your mind and your body, and those are tools, but then you also have your being, just who you are, what you are, and how one way that you can remind yourself that your mind is not who you are is because. Sometimes we have thoughts that we don't like. Mm -hmm. If your mind was who you are, you wouldn't sit there and have thoughts that you don't want to have. You know what I'm saying? So what we do have sometimes, we get stuck in these loops. Our minds are like computers and they get programmed sometimes. And so when you're stuck in so many negative situations, sometimes they can get programmed to think and expect and see things through a negative lens. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you get stuck in that. But what Eckhart Tolle, he, uh, he has a book called Power of Now, it's really good. Uh, he talks a lot about how if you watch the thinker or watch your mind, see your mind as a tool separate from you, then it's a whole lot easier when, you're th- when you have a thought that you don't like. Like let's say a suicidal thought or just a really negative thought about yourself that you know isn't true to remind yourself this is my mind malfunctioning and to, to try to step away from it. And that can make it a whole lot easier to sit there and separate yourself from those negative thoughts uh, of course, it doesn't always necessarily create a full solution, but over time, over time, it makes it a whole lot easier to, to see things sometimes, especially with anxiety as well. When you're anxious about something, just reminding yourself, okay, my mind is worrying about all these things, but let me go ahead and try to calm myself and realize this is what my mind wants to worry about, not what I want to worry about. I think that's really interesting to, um, to say that as a way of thinking of it that your mind is malfunctioning because like I guess that just takes me back to just thinking about even how the body heals itself and how the Mm. body's purpose it just like is here to keep yourself alive like you get like a cut or something like that it's gonna want to repair that it doesn't just Mm. be like okay well I guess not today (laughs) but like the fact that your mind like will do that that's just I don't know I just thought that was really interesting minds are really interesting in that way you know Mm. it's it's just such a uh, it's such an interesting organ because it controls so much of our everything, and it's and I mean and there are a lot of organs on our body that we can't live without, right? Um, and it's like the mind. It's like without our minds, what are we? And our minds are one of the things that separates us from other mammals and other animals. Mm-hmm. Is the fact that our mind can create these things of free thought. And we aren't locked into hive mode like bees or ants, mm-hmm. where did you know ants can't get into traffic jams? Just a thought. Ants, I, I heard that somewhere. Ants can't get into traffic jams. So if you see ants walking in lines, they can have a million lines and never crash into each other. Wow. Because that's how in sync they are. Because unlike us, they don't have that whatever that is in us, that free thought, that that free will, that the, the self-conscious, yeah. you know, they don't have that. We have that. We can get into shabby gems. We mold nature around us, and we remove ourselves from it instead of us being a part of nature. Mm. Um, it's just, it's just crazy how the mind can can make us do things. How we can make the mind do things, and how the mind is probably the most powerful weapon on earth. Yet, we just think about it as a lump of tissue mm-hmm. inside of a skull. Yeah. 
when we talk about that and we talk about the mind and the body being separate, oftentimes the self, some people articulate it as a soul. Some people just say it's your being. But uh, we talk about different ideas of what soul means, what being means, and what we're here for. Um, it begs a lot of questions. Yeah. It does. Because I, we're probably the... I mean, I assume, because I am a human, um, and I can't speak to other animals, I assume that we're probably one of the only species on Earth that's like, why are we, why are we here? What are we doing? You know? Other animals, too, create their own societies in some ways. I mean, ants have anthills, bees have beehives. But even still, those feed into the larger ecosystem of nature, right? So bees make beehives and store honey to eat, and they collect pollen to pollinate all these plants and whatever so that other animals can eat, right? Um, and so it's, it's always... Their society is always a part of the bigger scheme of things, all a part of the bigger architecture of Earth. But we, our society is not. It's just, it kind of, de it kind of takes away what Earth has done. Cause we're like, you know what? Let's get rid of all these forests. Let's just build buildings. Let's, let's build cars. Let's make roads. Let's make food, <laughs> you know? See, that reminds me a whole lot of like just the tradition of community in black cultures mm. and all these different cultures uh, within Africa and you know now that we're here here um, and how like Western individualism how much it hurts us yeah you know so if we if when we think about what we do we think about how it serves a community and even if it's how it serves us as part of the community you know I can I can want something for myself so that I can do more for my community. Uh, like even even just like getting a new job if you get the new job you can be happy about it mm -hmm. but still be doing something that works for the community right. you know oh wow now I'm actually gonna be able to give someone money when they need it mm -hmm. I'll be able to help someone I'll be able to invest in someone's business that I know who has good business that's black and is trying to do things and so it's like y'all familiar with the term uh, Ubuntu I've heard of it it's like because I am no it's I am because we are we are mm -hmm. because I am Hmm. And it just expresses like the idea that we're all valuable, we're valuable together, we're valuable because of our connection, our yeah. human connection, how humans just, we need each other. You know, isolation is not what we need. Individualism is not what we need. We should be working together. Now, of course, each individual should be able to like work on their own things. It shouldn't be cut to the point where it's like, oh, you're not allowed to work on your own stuff because that's fascism or that's this, that's that. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we're not cutting ourselves off from the world. I guess a way that I've seen that, the individualism to a fault, like really come out, especially in some American society, is just the idea of the suburbs in general. Like, it's really based on isolation, where it's like, I have my house, you have your house. We maybe see each other sometimes. We sometimes have block parties, but then we just go back to our own little spaces and only do that. And as someone who's lived in the suburbs for a long time, and just, I'm just noticing people in general, and which, I don't know, could also be attributed to like societal shifts, but younger people just like, oh, you know, it's trendy to go to cities. And there's just so much happening mm -hmm. like in tight knit spaces where like there's mixed residential and like commercial things happening. And it's like in those spaces, I think, why? 
I think it's important to have some type of balance between the two if we're gonna live in a society like this because it's so easy to just keep perpetuating that individualist idea that just leads to, you know, people not knowing how to interact with each other, which is a huge problem these days. And so. it's interesting that you would say that it had to do with the suburbs because suburbs were constructed in order to separate white folks from black folks. Right. They literally used laws and redlining and all that to keep white folks from black folks. So once white folks are only around other white folks, that's when they're like, okay, we don't have to worry about the black folks. We don't have to worry about sticking together. Right. I'm going to do my own thing now. Mm. And that's how they, you know, that's how they're individuals. Right. You know, when it's, you know, when it's white folks who are worried about, oh, black people are taking over the world, that's when they band together. But when it ain't stuff like that, when it ain't racially motivated or ethnically motivated, yeah. it's, oh, get off my lawn. Right, right. What, you, you mowed your lawn to an inch and a half? I'm going to mow mine to an inch. Right, so it's, it's like, like me versus you versus us versus them. Mm-hmm. What I wonder is that, okay, what I've seen is that um, no matter how much we try to make ourselves individuals here on this, on the west side of this world, (laughs) the thing is, is that we never are, like we can always see the ripple effects of what we do as a society or as individuals affecting the entire world. It's like, no matter what, just as a society in America, right? Whatever we do, in the global marketplace affects every other country. We, you know, we have the most weapons, we have the most this, we have the most that. And whatever we do affects someone else. It either offends them or it puts them in a worse place. It's if someone decides to, for instance, I read this article about vegans. It wasn't an article, it was a meme. It was a meme about vegans. Now, I have nothing against vegans at all. Um, but it said that people are dying from um, getting quinoa in Africa. Mm -hmm. In South America too. In South America, because white vegans want quinoa, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. But, and so I thought about that, and I, cause I love quinoa. I love quinoa, (laughs) okay? Um, But it made me think not only about that, but also just about other fruits, vegetables, Mm -hmm. and wildlife that are in other places in the world that don't belong here at all, that people die to get and to mine and to craft into devices. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, you know, palm trees don't grow in California. No, Mm. they're native to a country in Africa. Mm. We fly them over here. I just say that to say that no matter what we do as people, it never just affects us. It's never just us that it, aff- that it affects because individualism <clears throat> sounds like a great idea, but it doesn't really exist. All these people want to act like they worked for all the money they have. But I mean, it's even like you hear like uh, the president right now, he acts like he wasn't born into all this money and then lost a whole bunch of it. He lost more money than he's made. But because he was inherited it, it's okay. Like you have people, you have people that talk about, oh, you know, you shouldn't worry about needing college. That I die. If you wanted to start a business, just borrow two thousand dollars from your parents. A politician actually said that. Wow. And so, with that being said, we have these. I culturally, people who are born into that kind of money, they see it as, oh, I'm working hard. Mm-hmm. I can make more money, and oh, I've worked for everything I have. 
when people who actually are working for everything they have are struggling. And so it's easy for people who aren't. Also, that same mindset of working for everything you have and, oh, working as an individual, that gets taught to us as black folks. And then we think we need to do that. And then all of a sudden, when we can't get these other jobs, we're like, oh, well, I can't provide. I can't provide for my family. That's how we end up doing, you know, we end up jugging and stuff like that sometimes because it's like, well, I have to make money. I have to make money because I'm not a man or I'm, I'm just not valuable as a person if I don't make money. And then we end up doing all kinds of stuff that gets us in trouble or hurts other people. Yeah. Um, I guess to say something to that, I work in a spiritual shop now where I sell candles and other metaphysical items to the, uh, the patrons that come in. Uh, and I was talking to this couple, a black couple. I always get happy when black people come in because I work in Ferndale, which is a uh, pretty white city. Um, talking to this white couple, I mean black couple, sorry. And they um, they pulled these cards, um, these, these reading cards, like tarot cards. And um, I'm not gonna say I give readings, but I will say that I'm pretty good at veering into people and figuring out things. I'm pretty intuitive. Um, and me and this guy started talking about trauma and how it's holding him back. We never really went too specific uh, into what it was that was holding him back. But he was an older black gentleman. He may have been like 35. And we were just talking about, when I say older, I mean older than me, 21. So, um, we were talking about just how trauma holds you back as a black person. Um, because if you never acknowledge it, you can never move past it. And it's one thing to acknowledge it. It's one thing to know it, but then you have to process it and accept it. Mm -hmm. Because if you never accept something, you never really move on from it. You just let it sit there in the background. And, um, and the man was very skeptical because my story is kind of creepy. <laughs> it's 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 kind of creepy. <laughs> um, and he was just not very engaged. But once I like was talking to him about all this stuff, he got really intrigued and very interested because I think it it flipped the switch for him, and it, I think it made him realize that he really needed to. I think it just started him on a new path. Mm -hmm. Um, of accepting himself and accepting where he was. And we then started talking about his dreams, his aspirations, because I ask everybody that I meet, what are their dreams, what are their aspirations? I know this sounds very corny and very, uh, you know, optimistic to ask, but everybody has dreams. Mm -hmm. Everybody has goals, or at least most people do. Um, and the world says, forget them. And the world says, leave them alone. And the world says get a job, and the world says go to school, and all that stuff. And all that stuff is cool, but what is the world without dreamers? What is the world without people who never follow their dreams, who never set goals, who never follow their goals, who never, who never do what they, what they plan on doing? If no one was ever innovative, we would never have anything different. We would never have the wheel. We would never have backpacks. We would never TV. have TV. We would never have tables. We wouldn't have Eyeball. glasses. Like we, there are so many things. We wouldn't have cars. Mm -hmm. 
So many things you wouldn't have. Apartments would not be able to be this tall. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know? Or exist. Or exist. It's like there are so many things that, that would just not happen if people didn't follow their dreams or go after the crazy ideas that they had. Um, and so this guy is raising his family. He has a lot of mouths to feed. Um, words from him. I didn't ask him the exact the exact number. Um, but he has a lot of people who are depending on him, so he has a lot of weight on his shoulder. And I say to anybody who has a lot of things on their shoulder, don't let your dreams die in the process of being weighed down because once again, what is life without dreams? I think it's really important that people put their dreams into perspective for themselves. Like, personally, like, I really want to be a musician. I really want for my music to be out there. I need to release some music. And, I mean, sure, I do want to perform in front of a lot of people. But at the same time, if I end up just continuing my career, my political career, how I'm continuing it, and still end up only just singing in, like, you know, bars every once in a while, just having local shows and things like that, I'll still be happy. I'll still be following my dreams. And I feel like sometimes we have two specific dreams instead of letting it be a little bit more general yeah like like okay i want to make music then make music you can make music you're still following your dreams it doesn't matter whether or not a million people hear it right. it doesn't matter whether or not thousands and thousands thousands of people see you on on stage you made the music and so letting yourself look at your dream and instead of just dismissing it because it's not exactly the specific way you wanted things to be Look at what about that dream makes you happy. Where Where's that joy at? If your joy is in making the music or in doing whatever it is you're doing, then go ahead and do it. If you're not acknowledged for it, that's one thing. But if it's what makes you happy, then go ahead and do it. Follow that dream. That's how I see it. And I think that makes it a whole lot easier for people to actually follow their dreams while doing all these other things if they can put it in perspective like that. I echo that, <laughs> like 100% especially like the place I'm in right now, just graduated and trying to figure out where I want to go and what I want to do at least like for sustenance purposes, because you know, there's all those that stuff, which kind of I feel like goes back to the individualism thing where it's like, oh, just go for your passion, just do that. And you know, don't listen to anybody else and you know, just put all your hard work into that. But that doesn't always pan out, at least in a way where you feel like you can support yourself fully. So, yeah, I guess it's just like also not being afraid of compromising at certain points. You know, for the general big goal, yes, you just always go for it. But just, you know, sometimes if things, you end up doing something that you didn't feel like you wanted to do or saw yourself doing, that could even add more experience to like or like color the experience of what you actually want to do. Like, I don't know, me working somewhere that has nothing to do with art would somehow make my art more interesting. I don't know, who knows? So yeah, I just think it's important to be specific, but also stay open. Pretty much what Cover said, so. I gave up music, my dream, my love, my passion for about two years after graduating high school because I felt that me pursuing a career in music in the arena of performing would be completely non-viable. And so I just gave it up. I was like, you know what? This ain't worth it. I'm gonna become a teacher or something like that. Um, 
because yeah and so I'm really into the universe if you will quote unquote um, and just looking at how things happen in secession and how things just keep happening and how you get all these signs and so after I gave up the music, hadn't done anything with music, hadn't created anything, and then I ended up at an open mic night at um, this newly opened school in Detroit with some buddies of mine who were also music creators, okay? One of the buddies passed away shortly after that. That sent me into a really weird state of depression and anxiety, um, but it also awoken me to write about it because I had to get through it. And then later that year, my favorite artist Prince died. And then I had an actual dream, a literal dream, where he came to me and told me to get off my ass. So I did just that. And I didn't know what I was gonna create. I didn't know how I was gonna create. I didn't really have any clue or idea. I just knew I had to do it because I feel like if your idol comes to you in your dream after they die, maybe you should listen. Um, and I also believe like, just on like a, a simple level, like if you dream about something, your dreams are what you want. Like your literal dreams when you fall asleep, like that's your truest self, that's your subconscious talking to you. So if you're having dreams about something, um, if it's crazy, interpret it, figure out what it means and do it. Um, so then I started creating and then a year later, I started going to the school that I went to for the open mic night. So everything just kind of came full circle, and now I'm following my dreams and doing what I love to do, um, and pulling myself out of depression at the same time, but knowing that, for me, art is a way that I can cope with my depression and my anxiety, and a way that I can handle these things, and the way that I can get these things out because sometimes it's easier to sing about it than to actually say it. To piggyback off of that, before we end our show today, I would just like to say that the very beginnings, I should say, of Black So Blues was found upon that principle itself. To take these blues, these hardships, these growing pains, and to turn them into something else, something more, um, something bigger than ourselves, I think that was the very idea, and Blacks of Blues, to me, was really just my coping mechanism in the beginning. To turn to a platform, to share this platform with others that needed to aerate their, their blues. I think that's all where this started, and for us to end the episode right there, I think was a perfect way to bring in the very first group discussion in Black Sweet Blues history. So I would just like to send a very special thanks out to Tay, Alyssa, and Grover. Without you guys' narratives here on this show today, the platform would cease to exist, but more importantly, the very spectrum that makes up Blackness would cease to exist. We put ourselves through these airways for you guys' consumption. And I just hope that you got something from this episode today because without you guys receiving this, the conversation does not go on. The spectrum of blackness does not widen. So 
If you enjoyed what you heard here today, go ahead and join the conversation. Give us a message. You can hit us up on Instagram, Blacks with Blues. Hit us up on Facebook, Blacks with Blues. Go ahead and give us a visit on our website, blackswithblues.com. But you can always find us here on SoundCloud, our home, our primary source of getting to you. So like I said, give us a comment below. Continue the conversation because without you continuing this conversation, the subjects kind of dissolve into the airwaves. So once again, my name is Justin Jones, your host. And this is what it sounds like to be black and with the blues.